Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of A Sound Heart. First of all, I'd like to give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the great love wherewith he has loved us through his Son. And it is only through the Son of God that we have our so great salvation. And the writer to the Hebrews talks about the destiny or what will happen to those who neglect our so great salvation. So we are indeed blessed to have our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so tonight I want to teach from John chapter 1, and I want to teach about the Logos. That is the word made flesh. I want to also give, I'm going to also give some background information on this very pivotal book. And so before we get our study, begin our study tonight, let's have a word of prayer. We do give you thanks, Heavenly Father, for your word. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was crucified on a Roman gibbet, Lord, and he hung there uh, and He died on that cross for us. He was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so, Lord, it is because he rose out from among the dead that we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you. Amen. So, uh, John's gospel was written by the Apostle John. And uh, this book was written before the close of the first century. So there are those who believe it was written about 90 A.D. uh, at Ephesus uh, in Asia. John wrote not only the Gospel of John, but also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the Revelation. Uh, The scriptural evidence, I should say, uh, all points to a single author, author not different authors, but a single author, uh, and that is the Apostle John. So John's gospel is different from the gospels, the other three that precede him. Uh, That is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John is distinctive in many ways. so I won't have time to discuss all of those distinctions tonight. But uh, suffice it to say that the first three Gospels are called synoptic because uh, there's a, what we call a seeing together. And there's some evidence to suggest of Matthew and Luke uh, depended on the Gospel of Mark for some of their sources. 
So, and, and so John, uh, that is, Mark was the, the primary document. John's document is different. And so uh, the purpose of John's gospel is stated near the end of the book, and that is John chapter 20, verses 31 and 32, which, which says that this book was written to present the signs and wonders that Jesus performed so that those who, who read it will believe, that is, that literally believe into him that he is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the purpose of, of the Gospel of John. So let me state that again. The purpose of this Gospel, uh, that is, it is stated in John 20, verses 30 and 31, is to present the signs and wonders that Jesus performed so that those who read it will believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. So the style is simple uh, to understand. However, uh, it is intensely profound. Each incident and uh, discourse uh, of Jesus is treated as an isolated event or statement rather than being incorporated into into an overall framework. Uh, there's a distinctive majesty to the Gospel of John as he presents Jesus uh, as Yeshua HaMashiach. Now, when we read John chapter 1, the first 18 verses are called the prologue of, of this Gospel. So we are all familiar with the language, but I want to give you the story behind this language and why it is written in this manner. There is nothing passive about John chapter 1. John is presenting a very, very powerful truth about the, uh, the work of God in Christ Jesus. Quote, John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, uh, this is this is a very pivotal statement uh, because John, in the Greek, the first words are in arche. It is in the beginning. Was is the word. And so we have the definite article ho before the noun logos. In the beginning was the word. Now. It is important that we understand how John is using this word logos. So logos means both the mentality and the, uh, the, the verbal expression of that mentality or thought and the verbalization of that thought. So it is a very pivotal word. Yes, it was used by Philo and some other philosophers. But here it has a very distinctive meaning, the Logos. Now, capital L-O-G-O-S. So we have the masculine case ending, uh, the sigma in the Greek. It is important. It is not logia. Uh, so we don't have a feminine case ending. Uh, that, would, that would be attacked too. But we have a definite statement as to who he is. He is the Logos. And the word was 
the face of the God. And God was, is the Logos. So uh, the Logos cannot be distinguished from uh, from Theos, that, that is God. He is God. He was, is God. The same was in the beginning with God. That is before the God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn, that does not mean he was the firstborn of creation. That is not what that language means. So here, the theologian John states that all all things, all material substances, all of life, are created entities. They are finite. So... Jesus, that is the Logos, is the creator of all things. And without him, he is the source of creation. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was his life. And the life is the light of men. So John is singular. John is intentional in his language. He is very forceful. He is of the elder John at this point. And so uh, his his theology is emphatic. The emphasis is, is emphatic. The emphasis is impeccable. It is to show forth Jesus as uh, the incarnate Logos. Now he is, in verse 5, he is the light, the phos, P-H-O-S. He is the light, the phos. And the light shineth in Darkness, verse 5, the scotia. Now, the word scotia here has a feminine case ending. That is the alpha. So, in, in chapter and verse 1, we have the logos with the masculine case ending. And in, in verse 5, chapter 1, we have scotia with a feminine case ending. Is the emphasis of John? The emphasis of John is the the masculine presence of omnipotent God. And even uh, the evil, okay, that is scotia, the consequences of darkness, is not more powerful than the light. Please understand that, that God is the ultimate uh, masculine uh, member. And Scotia, that is the darkness, is the feminine member. John is not juxtaposing light and darkness. That's not what he's doing here. He is stating the, uh, the, the reality of darkness and what it is compared to God. Jesus is God Almighty. No one is comparable to him, not even the darkness, not even the darkness. Now, uh, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There's one translation that read, uh, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness understood it not. That is not the sense of the text. And the darkness understood it not. It's not what he is saying. So uh, John 
the emphasis in the Greek is this, that the darkness did not super overcome the light in order to extinguish it, in order to destroy it. So remember I said earlier that uh, this document is written and not in a passive sense, but in a very powerful, emphatic sense, because getting Jesus into the world was a formidable task. Remember, uh, in uh, Genesis 3, God said to the serpent that you will wound his heel, but he will crush you. He will crush your head. He will crush you. And so the devil knowing his history, his historical end, is to be done in by who? By Jesus. The devil's going to do all that he can to subvert or to be a subversive agent so that Jesus will not enter into the world. So when we this begins uh, in the book of Genesis, and you remember uh, uh, what happened to the in the first family? Remember the the event of fatricide, the killing the killing of one's brother. You see uh, what happened in, in the first family, and eventually the family divided. We have the the godly the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain. Eventually, the godly line was compromised, and God had to bring in the uh, the judgment, and that is the cataclysmos, or what we call uh, the great flood event, that wiped out uh, and that scoured into and recontoured the uh, the surface of uh, the the cosmos, the cosmos. Through hydrodynamics, God resculptured the surface of the landmass. And so God overthrew the antediluvian world. So through Noah, who, whose name means rest, we have a type of Jesus. So we, Noah is the bridge between the antediluvian world and the post-diluvian world. So it is his, through his three sons that now the, the new humanity starts. And we begin to see immediately uh, what happens through them. And so then there's another judgment. Uh, and uh, men wanted to have a single community. And so they, they built this great tower. And the tower was a symbol. These people were super intelligent. They were not primitives. They were super intelligent evil people who were in defiance against the word of God. So what did God do? He went down and confused their language. He confused their language so that they would scatter abroad uh, uh, over the face of the earth. That is to follow his command. Now, notice the, the, we have a lot of militaristic words or military words or terms in the Old Testament. Paul uses a lot of military terms that is uh, in, in his writings to arrange oneself under. Uh, 
we ha- we we have to know how to follow orders, how to take commands. And so the language is very deliberate. So orderliness, precision, following God according to his will, doing what God has uh, has stated in his word that we must do uh, in order to follow him appropriately. Uh, Paul uses such languages as, you know, we must walk with precision. And I've rarely heard anyone speak about that. We're to walk with precision. Well, I'm only human, and I'm a, even though I'm a king's kid, uh, I'm not perfect. We're not saying that. Paul never said that. Paul said, wrote, walk with precision. And how do we do this? Through the power of the indwelling spirit. Okay? Uh, and it is through the power of the indwelling spirit that we are able to grow up into grace and in, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When one grows up in Christ, then the desire to sin, uh, the desire to keep sinful thoughts, to have sinful practices, uh, begin to leave the personality. And that is, uh, so it is very, very powerful what the Spirit of God does. What we're talking about is what the Spirit of God does through uh, that personality who has who is yielded to him. The believer must yield his volition or his will to the Spirit and then taught by the Spirit to learn to walk independent independence on the Spirit of God. Okay? And then one will see uh, the fruit of the Spirit in one's life. Okay? We are called uh, to bear fruit. And we do this through dependence upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I will get back into that in more detail in another show. Uh, so, but I want to go on and, and to talk a little bit more about this, this background. In, uh, in John chapter one, we we, we read about the uh, the line of King Kaniah or Jeconiah, who was in uh, uh, who of whom Joseph in the the New Testament, who was the the father of Jesus, not the biological father of Jesus. He was the legal father of Jesus. Uh, was in that line. That line was cursed because of what Kaniah or King Jeconiah did when the word of God given by the prophet Jeremiah was sent to him. The king took a knife and he cut the word up and put it into his fire pot. So he rejected the word. And so he was rejected by God. And so uh, both in the New Testament both the father of Jesus, Joseph, and the mother of Jesus, Mary or Miriam, in uh, the kingly line. Because the line of Kaniah or King Jeconiah was rejected by God or cursed, Jesus could not inherit the throne of Judah or Israel through his legal father. But through Heli 
and that genealogy that is the genealogy of Mary that is given in Luke's gospel. Uh, Jesus inherits the throne through uh, the uh, the kingly line of his mother. So the devil tried to prevent and uh, the the coming of Jesus into the world. Oh, look, this was ex- an extraordinary battle, and so. Uh, we have to understand that that this is. I'm just giving you some of the background of what John, uh, why John wrote this man, and why it is important that we understand uh, understand it. So, and in this gospel, we have the the, uh, the displays of the power of Jesus. Oh. His power over quality, that is chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and turning the water into wine. We have his power over space in chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. We have his power over time in chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. We have his power over quantity in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. We have his power over natural law. In chapter 6, verses 16 through 20, or, or 21, I should say. And then we have uh, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, his power over misfortune. The word believe is used 98 times in John's gospel. So in John's gospel, in its full meaning of the verb believe, uh, means the continuing process of belief, also involving progress. Let me say that again. The word believe, as used in John's gospel in its full meaning, the verb means the continuing process of belief, also involving progress. So Jesus changes water to wine. He heals the nobleman's son. He heals the impotent man. There is the feeding of the 5,000. There is the walking on water. There is the healing on the, of the blind man. And there is the raising of Lazarus, and not the resurrection of Lazarus, but the raising of Lazarus, resuscitation of Lazarus. Resurrection uh, comes later. Because Jesus, remember, he is the first fruit of resurrection. Then all follow him. There is no resurrection event prior to Jesus. So the word became flesh. And the incarnation is forever. Now, in the book of Revelation, When John sees the glorified Christ, because John sees the glorified Christ in his glorified resurrection body, in uh, the throne room of God, and this is Revelation chapter 5, and this is Revelation 5, 6, which reads, quote, John writes, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood 
the lamb, not a lamb, but the lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns, which means the completion of power, and seven eyes, which represents complete intelligence, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. John saw the evidence of sacrifice present in the person of Jesus. This is an important detail for us. The wounds that Jesus suffered on Calvary on our behalf are eternal wounds of love. The Logos is God's incarnate message of God's love and grace. Agape, self-sacrificial love, and great, unmerited favor. Jesus is God's love in the flesh forever and ever and ever and ever. Stand in grace, Paul writes. Paul writes about this grace in which we stand. And then we're also to grow up in grace. And so we have what? There is the positional reality of grace, and then there is the practice, practice of grace so, uh, so that we can grow up into him, so that we can learn more uh, about who we are uh, in this grace relationship that we have with God through, uh, through Christ Jesus. So John, uh, John states very emphatically uh, and we go back to chapter 1, uh, after verse 18, then, then John goes, uh, he begins uh, what is called the record uh, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who art thou? Who are you? And uh, he confessed. That and he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And so, uh, this now a new episode uh, begins in this ministry. And so, this is the testimony of John the Baptist that I just read, or John the Baptizer more accurately. Okay, uh, he did not belong to a denomination, he didn't start the Baptist denomination. Is John the Baptizer. That was his mission as a forerunner of the great king. And so, uh, he, and I love John's language. It is very plain and very simple. I love the prose of the Apostle John. It is very plain, very simple, and yet very, very powerful. One has to understand what one theologian calls our mystical relationship with Christ. That is our mystical union with Christ. And uh, when you are saved, uh, when you are rescued by grace, that relationship is eternal. That's an eternal relationship that we have. And God is bringing us up. He is maturing us. Uh, He is raising us up into him in all things. Please read very carefully. Uh, Paul's letter to uh, to the Ephesians. The letter to the Ephesians is about the body of Christ. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae 
is about Christ, the, Christ the head of the church. But read Paul's church at Ephesus. It is about our blessings and who we are in Christ, the head of the church. So let me close at this point by say, stating that things are changing in the world. Things are changing rapidly, and I hope you have discernment so you can discern the spirit of the age and turn eyes to Jesus. Look fully unto him because the, the things, the distractions of the world are going to be taken away and go to God and find out his will for your life at this point in history. Be directed by him. Be guided by him. Use wisdom. Use discernment. Be very wise in your relationships. Be very very wise in what you say and what you do. But above all, read your Bible. Have a closer relationship with God so that he can guide you through the difficulties that we may face here in the near future. Good evening. And God bless you.